Welcome back to Gaming with Gage, your podcast for role-playing games and the periphery. Thanks for being here. And thank you so much for being here for the finale of Season 3. For those of you keeping score at home, this episode actually makes 17 for the season, our new record. But wait a second, Gage. Where's Agatha isn't done? I hear you saying. And yes, we do still have one more episode that will be released as a bonus episode in between Seasons 3 and 4. All types of new bonus episodes flying around. If you can't wait that long to find out what happens, hop into our Discord and I'll spoil it for you. You hear that? It's a bona fide good offer from me. This season has been such a pleasure, and I truly appreciate everyone who's been along for the ride. And for our finale, I got to speak with Ken Spencer of Why Not Games. We talked about Rocket Age and Weird Races and a lot about Imperial Jupiter, which is the newest setting book for Rocket Age. You will hear me gush a little about Imperial Jupiter in this episode, but that's only because I loved it. <laughs> Look forward to season four on Monday, May 20th. And if you have any ideas for the upcoming season, people you'd like to hear from or topics you'd like us to discuss, please let us know. As always, we ask that you rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. And with all of that out of the way, let's jump into our season finale with Ken Spencer. So I have to be honest with you, Imperial Jupiter is the first book of yours that I've actually opened up and read. Okay. And I had heard about Rocket Age the first time was through Shannon over at Gamer's Table. Um, and then I spoke with you at Geek Speakers because Eric had me on the show and I was like, this sounds so cool. And then I was reading Imperial Jupiter and I was like, this is exactly what I want from RPG books. <laughs> and I was actually really oh, blown. You. You're very welcome. I was actually really blown away. I was talking with uh, Shannon about it earlier today. I was like, this is, this is what I, what I need is it's, it's very free form, but like all of the stuff's there, like the world is built. Um, and the way you have it broke, you, the way you have it broken down is just really, really easy to get into. It's like, here's a bunch of information about the place, but here's the overview. Here's a person that's there. Here's some complications and here's some story hooks and boom, go. <laughs> it's just really cool. Well, I always felt that first and foremost, any setting book has got to be a reference book. It's got to still have a good story in it. It's got to have something to make you want to keep reading but it has to be something you can use at the table or use during your game prep if you're a GM. And it should be readily available for uh, players and GMs to get a hold of, to take a look at, to flip through and go, oh, well, here's exactly what I need. Which is why the layout is the way it is, <laughs> so that you can quickly grab stuff. Exactly. Through it, and I was just sitting on the couch uh, next to my wife, Amanda, and I was just explaining it to her. I'm like, this is very, very cool. Um, and explaining it to her and she's like that does sound awesome she's never run games so I don't think she understands exactly like how convenient this setup is and how very cool this book is maybe two years ago a friend of mine was trying to run a solar system romp like a rocket age type thing and I remember it fizzling out because I think he got behind on building the world and I'm like I'm gonna send him this <laughs> like oh yeah hey get all of these books oh yes we've got everything covered out thoroughly out to Jupiter we're trying to decide how we want to handle the outer planets mm -hmm. because the original conception of them was that we would only give sparse information on the outer planets, which is what we did in the core book and leave that as an area for the GMs at the individual tables around the world to expand on, you know, here's, we'll give you the framework. You take the canvas and do with it what you want. But there's been a lot of fans who have said, well, we'd like to see what's going on on Pluto and Neptune. And we're 
trying to balance between, well, we'd like to do that, but that's not quite our original vision of Rocket Age and the solar system. So which direction do we want to go in? That sort of thing. I noticed that in, in reading the, the Jupiter book, uh, Imperial Jupiter, that there's a really nice mix of here's all of the information you need, but also here are the spaces where you can kind of go where you want. Um, I think you even say that when you're talking about Jupiter specifically and not the moons. Like, hey, this is a big planet. We're going to tell you about this area. It's about three times the size of Earth. Don't mind that. <laughs> but this is a huge planet, and anything that is relevant for your game can be here and should be here. And I was like, that's nice. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then I noticed that you also, in at least in this book, and you can let me know if this is too spoilery, there's hints at what's going on even more hints about what's going on in Neptune. And, and uh, I think Uranus was the other one in the part that I was reading. So you're hinting at it and starting to drop the breadcrumbs. And now you're just not sure which way you want to go. Is that where you're at? Uh, it's not so much that. It's we're not certain if we want to leave that as a blank space, as, as a canvas, as a here be dragons to be filled in. Mm -hmm. Because once we release a book on it, that makes that part canon. And it's the argument the, the two main arguments are on the one hand there are quite a few fans who want that who want to see that canon filled in but there's also a sense that the core book for rocket age we said we're leaving this as blank canvas for you and is that a betrayal of that statement and is it almost like casting uh casting actors to play characters from a book if people have built their own adventures and already have an idea of what neptune is exactly Exactly. If you're sitting out there and you've been running a campaign that is Rocket Age and it deals with the outer planets, and now there's a book on it and it's entirely in a different direction and is something very different, can't be integrated into your game, then what have we done to your game? I mean, have we split you off from the Rocket Age idea and concept or... Do you have your own little part of Rocket Age and it doesn't have to be the same? So the, we're discussing that. A lot of the staff, staff, <laughs> there's no one full time, but a lot of our crew like to think about some of these bigger ideas as far as what it does it mean to make a game? How do you make it? How do you design it to be fun, to be playable? Is there a message there? Does there need to be a message there? That sort of thing. Mm -hmm. I, I think that the next book should just be there's solar flares. You wipe half the solar system completely blank and you just get to start over. That's been one of the things we've been discussing. There has always, from the beginning, there has been the desire that Rocket Age should have an end. Not necessarily, you know, stop publishing it. Not that, but there should be an end to the series. And do we want the Great Solar War? Do we want an outside invasion? We've dropped hints for all of those things, but we, which direction we go in, we haven't decided yet. But that's... That's two or three books down the road. <laughs> we have time. We have time. <laughs> so for people who don't know, I just realized we're just going off and chatting, which is exactly what happened last time you <laughs> spoke. Mm -hmm. um, you are Ken Spencer of uh, Why Not Games, who have Rocket Age. And for people who don't know Rocket Age and are at this point very confused, <laughs> what is your elevator pitch for Rocket Age? Rocket Age is a pulp sci-fi role-playing game set in a 1938 that never was and a solar system that should have been. <laughs> I like that. 
Uh, I've yeah, I've seen it described. I think you guys said something about radium punk. I've seen retrofuturism thrown around a lot. Yes, um, both of those. Yeah, for me, it calls to mind uh, Fallout. The way Fallout kind of plays off of something similar. Yes. You know, it's a different split in technology level. Yes, it's very similar to that concept. It's taking the sci-fi of an earlier era and updating it with more modern sensibilities, more modern ideas, with the development in sci-fi since the 1930s and 40s and 50s. With new ideas, transhumanism, there's a little bit of that in it. There's inspiration from, well, science fiction of the past century. And there's Nazis. And there's Nazis. Which I am a big fan of. If you're going to punch something in a game, punch Nazis. I ran a one-shot for some friends um, showing them Savage Worlds, and Savage Worlds tends to do a lot of pulp as well. And there was a point where one of them said, hey, just so I know before we go too far into this, this is one of those settings where it's okay to just out and out punch a Nazi in the face, right? And I was like, exactly. That's exactly what it is. It's always okay to punch a Nazi in the face in my table. Oh, yeah. They're one of the last groups that, and quite rightly so, can always be the villains and can always suffer whatever injuries the heroes want to lay on them. And I feel like you don't have to worry, as much as this is like something very real that happened in history, they're, because they're so, so evil, they almost become cartoonish in some ways. And it lets you kind of skip past, oh, well, would a human being do this to another human being? Because they kind of already answered that question. Um, so, for example, I don't want to get too spoilery, uh, but in Imperial Jupiter, there is a project that involves taking, like, where Nazis are taking their own soldiers and mending their minds together <laughs> you know regardless of what happens to them and you go oh of course they're doing that they're nazis exactly exactly you're free reign to they can be as vile as you want to be because anything we dream up is not going to be worse than what they've actually done they're a safe punching bag so to speak yes they are so you don't get that in every genre and of gaming i've been in many role-playing games where sessions where You've had to make that decision of, wait a second, what if the orcs aren't that bad? Mm -hmm. Maybe the orc hordes are moving south because there's something worse to the north driving them. Maybe they're under the thrall of some vile necromancer. And there's can always be that question, but not with Nazis. <laughs> Which is nice, because I want that in most of my games. Like, I want to have, is this complicated? Can we look into their background and stuff? But every once in a while, you do just want to have... We are the superhero, heroy, roguish gallery heroes, and the uh, bad guys are bad. Exactly, and we've got plenty of those in Rocket Age, and we've got nuanced hero, nuanced villains as well. Everything that I have looked at so far about the Europans, just I'm very interested. <laughs> it hits a certain nerve in me that just makes me want to dive into like their whole culture and civilization. Good. I I wrote them as a blue and orange morality. Uh, <laughs> And I've been waiting since the core book. I knew the reasons why they were the way they are, but I didn't want to reveal it till we got to Imperial Jupiter. Just really quick, let's take it back a second. Sure. Ken, how did you get into gaming? Oh, wow. Yeah, we're taking uh, it all the way back. Are you a red boxer? I'm a red boxer. I had a very strange introduction into gaming. My father was a Avalon Hill board gamer. Oh, wow. And he delved into wooden ships and Iron Men using miniatures. 
So little miniature sailing ships. And he, I wouldn't say dumbed down, but he simplified a lot of the, the rules so that he and I can play together. And mostly though, he, he was a sailor, uh, US Navy. Mostly he played with the guys on his ship, with his crewmates, which I always found is kind of odd that they'd be sitting there on a modern warship and they're moving wooden sailing ships around <laughs> around a board. I asked him if they ever played harpoon. He's like, no, why would we do that? It's our off hour. <laughs> That's just work. <laughs> yes. For those of you who don't know, harpoon is the modern naval combat war game. Uh, probably the most popular one. I think you might be the first second generation gamer who is also a red boxer that I've ever talked to. Oh, really? <laughs> I've, known, I've known a lot of red boxers and I know a lot of second generation gamers, but your dad was like in it early. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, he didn't approve of Dungeons and Dragons because it was fantasy and he didn't see why I should be interested in that. He wanted me to get in Napoleonic so that he can build an army in it. <laughs> that would be his excuse. And but I was interested. I saw the advertisement in the back of a Conan the Barbarian comic and saved up my allowance and went to KB Toy Shores and bought the red box and haven't looked back. Even in the nerd culture, the dad is still like. Oh, your thing is silly. Come over here and play soldier with me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. He still says that. He's, I'm so happy that you're successful as a writer and you've won awards, but when are you going to do something historical? I'm like, well, <laughs> what about what about Blood Tide? I did that for Chaosium. It's pirates. He goes, it's pirates and magic now, isn't it? <laughs> I will say in terms of non-fantasy, the one... The one idea that I've had recently that I could feel myself sitting down and writing would be early colonists to Australia. Because I oh. feel like Australia is strange enough that you could have an exciting adventure campaign without magic. Yes. And there's already a bestiary. <laughs> yes, there is. But then the urge to pull things out of the dreamlands just makes it mm, out of the, the dream time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he was very excited about Northland Saga until I said, oh, and then there's, you know, giants in it. And he's like, well, why are there giants? And I'm like, well, because there's Vikings and Vikings and giants go together. <laughs> this is just one of the, like, obviously for you, it's your, your relationship with your dad. But for me, oh, yeah. it's one of the funniest conversations ever. My, my, my dad doesn't like to play games, period. Full stop. Like, I, I'm like, let's play Scrabble. He'd be like, no. <laughs> so it's really interesting to have like a war gamer dad and him just be like, oh, yeah, just keep it realistic, please. Well, we're a whole gaming family. My sister is a role player, has been for ages and ages, as long as I have, which is weird because she's my half sister. We grew up on in different households and we started gaming about the same time, despite the fact we're four years apart in age, <laughs> almost to the month. We picked up our first D&D set. That's funny. Uh, my, my wife is a gamer. Uh, our son, of course, is a gamer. He's grown up with it his entire life. So he's 10, and his big thing right now is bolt-action Air, U.S. Airborne. So he's going to go back to... I don't know. He might. <laughs> he's going to be like, Dad, I don't want your dragons. Keep your dragons out. I'm building a Napoleonic army here. <laughs> exactly. Well, I don't know where he's going to go with things. I just, you just celebrate a birthday. I did. So I'm celebrating one this weekend. Pisces, uh, unite. Yes, exactly. 
So I got as an early birthday present the starter set for Age of Sigmar. <laughs> nice. And uh, Mr. I Want to Play U.S. Airborne takes one look at the, uh, oh, what are they called? The Stormcast Eternals. <laughs> Can I build those? I want to build those. Let's, I want to paint those. Let's, let's, let's try those. I'm like, okay. Little does he know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Get him hooked into Games Workshop early and he'll never have money for drugs. <laughs> Sorry, that one caught me off guard. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It is very true. My, my wife plays with me, but I wouldn't call her a gamer. And we just moved and we went to the local coffee shop, which is a coffee and board game shop. Uh, and magic is huge there. And the guy was like, oh, you should get into magic. And I was like, no, I really can't. She wouldn't let me. And she goes, magic, does that cost money? And the guy looked at her and was like, yeah, I'll <laughs> a lot of money and she's like yeah well then he's not playing and i was like thank you babe <laughs> but like games workshop ccgs I, I i spend enough money on role-playing games which theoretically you don't have to do to play <laughs> yeah i use a lot of maps and minis in my gaming role-playing mm -hmm. part of it's because this is a college town vincennes is so we'll get someone who's a good good solid role player but we'll only have them for about two to four years in a local group and then they're gone and then someone else comes in so we end up with a lot of people who are very inexperienced and having the maps and the minis helps them a lot i also do it because i love painting <laughs> i love painting miniatures and it's great because I'll, I'll my wife will say what would you like for your birthday and i'll say well there's these minis and she'll take a look and she goes don't want to fight that <laughs> don't want to, that one looks too scary I know if I buy you that, you'll put it together and it'll be out on the table before you're done painting, so no. <laughs> Here, you can have some puppies. Um, exactly. Look at the detail exactly. on this coat. <laughs> One year she gave me a, a couple packs of familiars. <laughs> I was going to say, little does she know that Hell Puppies is an adventure you've been working on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Without thinking, one year she just got a whole bunch of different spider miniatures. Oh, that was silly. That was silly because they immediately started showing up in the games. <laughs> so we're playing Starfinder. I didn't think you'd bring them in. I'm like, oh, these are space spiders. <laughs> Every spider is a space heart spider if you try hard enough. Exactly. And then how did you get into writing? Have you been like, was that always something you knew you wanted to do? I was involved in writing in high school, won some citywide awards in Indianapolis. In college, I ended up going into archaeology and geography and decided I wanted to go off and have adventures. <laughs> and I did, and then decided that, you know, as much fun as it is, being cold and wet was not a career choice. <laughs> so I then transitioned into teaching, and then from teaching into writing. I saw that you had the archaeology background. I think we talked about it a little bit on mm -hmm. uh, Geek Speakers. And sorry for anyone who's listening where this is might feel a little bit like retreading because I know obviously we share a bit of an audience. I was just blown away when I looked at everything at how you build cultures and stuff and then saw that and that made a lot more sense to me because I was like there's little little details that you have that are just like one line in a big block of text that very much colors the way these different groups see the world around them. Yes. Even the first paragraph of the introduction to these places, you feel like you have an idea of like the culture and the way this place feels very quickly which to me is astounding because i talk a lot so i'm used to needing a lot more words to get those things across part of it is when you're writing professionally and you're getting paid by the word the client often doesn't want you to use up more words than you need <laughs> part of it is i have a tendency to 
if I have, well, the most recent thing that I worked on, I had a 40,000 word budget to work with. I blocked it out and outlined it, but because I want to put in so many things that I feel are critical to the work that needs to be in there for it to be a good, solid craftsmanship, you have to limit and learn how to use as few words as possible to convey the thing you need to say, which I can do in writing, but I can't do when speaking. <laughs> Anyone can write. Real writers edit, I believe is the quote. <laughs> yeah. I'm starting to try and do my own writing. Let me talk writing with you as someone who's never done it. Sure. <laughs> I was reading guidelines and stuff. And one of the first things is passive voice. I've been getting slammed over the head with that everywhere I read. They're like, stay away from it. And I realized that when I'm paying attention to passive voice all of us, and getting rid of it to use active voice, all of a sudden I drop like 100 words a, a page like just by yes. getting rid of all of that nonsense. And then you read it back and you're like, oh, yeah, no, this is much better. Using an active voice cuts the word count quite a bit. But there are places to use passive voice. There are times to use passive voice. Sometimes in dialogue, it's necessary to convey that the person speaking is not an active participant or is trying to hide something, that sort of thing. Sometimes in writing a setting, you want to use passive voice here and there to imply something that has happened in the past. So it's like having different brushes to paint a miniature. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You can't use your 20 on everything. You'll wear it out. I, I need to know where uh, Bobby, the hero of Harlem, Yes. I need to know where that came from because when I read that, it tickled me in like the best place possible. Um, so whose idea was Bobby? Was that yours or was that someone else's? Oh, that was mine. That was mine. Where did you get that idea from? I wanted to do something that was a bit of a reference to the upswing of superheroes, especially the, the whole Marvel Universe thing being popular. But Rocket Age isn't really a setting for superheroes. I mean, the characters are larger than life, but they're pulp heroes. So they're larger than life. They're not super heroic. And I had this image in my mind of an Iowite standing on a ledge looking over the city streets and thought, well, why would he be doing that? And then when I got to working on the Iowites and went, now, wait a second, if we're going to have Iowites in the sewers, what would be an interesting inversion of the sewer monster? And that would be the sewer hero. <laughs> and that juxtaposition of the sewer monster above the city. So that was my concept. And when I went to the artist, I said, this is what we're doing. This is what I want it to look like. And uh, they hit it spot on. Agreed. <laughs> I just, the image is what captured me when I was flipping through. And then I started reading it. And I was like, I just, I want to give Bobby a hug. <laughs> you know. <laughs> So this happens a lot in Pulp, and I think that it's definitely there in Imperial Jupiter, which is you get so caught up with how like flashy and high-flying the adventure is that you don't stop. But if you stop and you look at the world of Rocket Age, it is very bleak and depressing. Um, and it is, on like, like you talked about, there's always the possibility that tomorrow the war kicks off that ends society as people know it. Like It's actually a very dark, stressful time. It's kind of where Pulp comes from. Yes. Fighting the Nazis, for example is because the next step is World War II, which was awful. Uh, you also saw you know, a lot of pulp with the nuclear scare. Oh, yes. So to have this character in this moment that's kind of wholesome <laughs> in a universe that when you, or solar system, when you, you really look at it, you're like, this is actually a very fun world to play in, but would be a depressing world to be like an accountant 
in. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, with Rocket Age, I try it. Now, not every one of the uh, example NPCs are uh, heroic or heroes or that sort of thing. But I try and leaven most of them with that's where your hope spots are. The world may be on the brink of disaster, but there's hope, and the hope lies with the individual people, with the things they're doing. And it may just be like like Bobby. What he's doing is pretty small potatoes when you look at the whole solar system. But for the people of Harlem who he is saving from muggings, he's a big deal. That's hope. That is heroic action, even if it's just on the scale of a few blocks. And that's why I want to hug him. That's why you want to hug him. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm a big fan of Bobby. I'm sorry. I won't apologize. Oh, that's great. That's great. <laughs> if someone's coming new to Rocket Age and you wanted to point them somewhere, aside from obviously, you know, get the core book and start, like what's something that you guys have done that you're just super proud of? Either you think it's so cool or so gripping or so different or not different, but just done really, really right. Well, I point most people to their first purchase after the core book to be Heroes of the Solar System. Mm -hmm. It's a player facing product. But it provides a lot more detail on all of the 13 races from the species, 13 species from the core book, and adds four new species that just didn't quite make it into the core book. And it expands upon that, and it gives you the organizations, the system-wide organizations that are heroic that you could work for. And I think that ties people into the setting. You're capable of doing the random strangers wandering across the solar system, getting into hijinks and adventures game. We wanted that to be a, a definite possibility. But I think Rocket Age really starts to shine and really starts to grow when you're saying, hey, we're working for the International Committee on Intellectual Cooperation, and that's why we're exploring these ruins. Or we are detectives for uh, Wolfgang and Long Detective Agency traveling the solar system solving crimes. It ties the characters into the greater story. I would also say we were talking about this earlier. I think that that's a good good call because what we were talking about earlier, Shannon and I, was that you have a way of writing aliens uh, that I would say is probably definitely the best that I've seen in sci-fi and, and alien or rather other races, period. Uh, probably one of the best I've seen in role-playing games. I think that people could, if anyone's looking to do anything other, I think looking at the work that you guys are doing is a great place to start. Uh, because you, well, thank you. you're very welcome because all of your people feel other without feeling necessarily gimmicky, which I think is a, a hazard that some sometimes feel like they're definitely nothing like us, but mm. they feel like they exist. And it's just a very, <laughs> that's a very narrow line to walk. And I think you guys do it better than pretty much anyone else out there. Well, I owe a lot of that to uh, the writing wise. I owe a lot of that. Uh, to my background in archaeology and anthropology and geography. Um, but I also owe a large debt to uh, Mark Miller and the original uh, old, old traveler alien modules where you would buy Aslan, and it's nothing but the Aslan. It goes into their culture and who they are and their history and their psychology and why they are the way they are, which I've always felt is the best way to approach it. Uh, and rubber... Rubber forehead and rubber mask aliens are okay, but they don't really interest me because they don't say anything 
that as a role player, I could grab hold on and say, I'm like this because this is the way my culture is. They also don't say anything as a, uh, and I hate to use the term artist because I see myself as a craftsman. <laughs> I make a really good product. If it's art, that depends on whoever's looking at it. Sci-fi, fantasy, speculative fiction has to be making some sort of comment, has to be saying something about humanity. If you don't have these things fleshed out as a reflection of us, as a thing to hold up and go to, well, this is why they're like this. Could there be a reason why we're like we are? Then I think you're doing a disservice to the genre, a disservice to gaming, to role-playing in general. So that's the approach I took, I've taken in Rocket Age. And also with our Weird Races series, the Catterday are, well, what would it be like to be a three-foot-tall anthropomorphic cat person? The serial are, so this is what they look like, but how do they act? What do they believe in? What's important to them? They don't use money because of various cultural reasons, but one of them is in their area, the only real source of gold is runoff from a mountain that is, a, in their worldview, a sleeping spirit that was poisoned. That gold is the solidified poison. So if that's solidified poison, why do I carry it around in my pocket? So it's taking that stance. And the artists who have worked on Rocket Age, uh, the artists who have worked on Weird Races have contributed greatly because they've done art that presents these, these strange non-humans in all of their strangeness, but also in a very human way. Something to latch on to. <laughs> something, something to latch on to. Because your stuff is weird. They are other. <laughs> like, I, I want to stress that. Like, there's a lot, like, you, you can understand them, which makes it swallowable. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know what else to say. it, But they are very much other. Um, it's, like I said, it's a delicate balance. I love it. They are odd. The, <laughs> oh, especially the Europans, the Ganymedians. Very rarely do I see people who play Ganymedians who aren't the oddballs of the group to begin with. Uh, the Martians, the way their caste system works and the way that they view things by caste and how that changes in different parts of the planet is very strange to most folks. And then you've got the Venusians who love baseball. <laughs> Even that, though, they love baseball. They've adopt, uh, they love it. They've adapted it. They've adopted it into their culture. Uh, as being one of the things from Earthlings that all Venusians seem to agree on, that this is a good thing. They'll argue back and forth, you know, is this a, is using a gun a good thing? Is adopting Earthling political systems a good thing? Is aligning with the Earthlings a good thing? But they can all agree on baseball because it fits their culture. It's a group of people struggling together against their foes for a common cause. <laughs> yeah, I guess it yeah. is. <laughs> People do want to reach out to you. Is there an easy way to get a hold of you? Uh, we are on Facebook under Why Not Games. Uh, there is also a Rocket Age unofficial Facebook group that we are active in. Uh, those are probably the best ways. We're, we'll be at Gen Con this year for sure. We've had to cut our convention schedule back this year a little bit, but we'll see how that goes. But we'll be <laughs> at Gen Con this year. So come by our booth. We're with Studio 2, which means we'll be... And that whole like two rows, three rows, four rows that Studio Two just eats up and <laughs> divvies out to to all of its clients, which is great. I mean, those are we made a lot of good connections last year with folks. 
and I will be swinging by your booth because this is my first Gen Con this year. You've got a lot of Savage Worlds fans. You know Studio 2 will be right there. We stood under so many Savage Worlds banners last year. <laughs> uh, and it worked out well. Because my wife's a board gamer, but she's a little new to role-playing. So she turned to me one one during Gen Con last year and said, okay, what's Savage Worlds and why should we play it? <laughs> and I said, well, those are the words I've wanted to hear from you for the past 15 years. <laughs> those are. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Most of the time when I'm talking to people, it's just an excuse to hear those words. Yes. <laughs> you know, I'm not going to lie. Because Imperial Jupiter is built, uh, and, and a lot of your, your books are built so story-focused and world-building focused, I'm like, I'm going to take this. I'm going to play in Savage Worlds. <laughs> but It is on the many lists of things we want to do, where is look into the feasibility of a, uh, a Savage Worlds version of Rocket Age. That would be uh, amazing. But that is, again, down the road. we got to get out uh, the 5th edition D&D compatible with 5e for those of you from watsi who are legal eagles and are paying attention uh, compatible with 5e version uh, of rocket age which we've been working on for about 18 months now it just needs me to sit down and go through the last bit of edits so we can decide on the artwork and get the layout done on it we need to get that out first weird races has been doing very well for us and we we want to do an, another one uh, so we're currently in the let's let's dream up some weird races and figure out how we can make those fit. My wife is pushing for reptiles. I'm pushing for birds. <laughs> that is just awesome. Um, so we're pretty much out of time. So wrapping up, where can people find your stuff? Where to find our stuff? Yes. So you can find Rocket Age, uh, including the newest Rocket Age release, Imperial Jupiter as well as our two Weird Races books for 5e, uh, Catterday and Serial Bearfolk of the North. They are available at your friendly local game store, uh, through DriveThruRPG, or from WhyNotGames.com. And excellent. Definitely people should be checking those out because you guys really do have a th very special thing going on with the way you guys create the other. If you buy from us directly through WhyNotGames.com or from us at a convention you'll get the pdf for free yes uh the rocket age core book will soon be available on drive through rpg as a print on demand product awesome if that's your your style and we have currently in development uh two more books uh we have for rocket age Nonstop to jupiter which is a sequel to the rocket racers adventure where you take off from the Indianapolis rocket port and you fly out, race out to Jupiter and back. Very cool. And of course, things go wrong alone. Well, they have to. Yeah, nothing is easy. <laughs> uh, and the other book that's currently in development is uh, Catopia Prime. <laughs> we take all the fun of Catterday and we make it a sci-fi cats in space book for Starfinder. With a complete look at the Catopia Prime, well, Catopia Prime and the rest of the Katsi solar system, with a new race for for Starfinder, as well as uh, weapons, equipment, spaceships, monsters, seven planets. Just that. Yep, I'm getting the nod from from my layout artist, and now I'm getting a smirk from the wife because it's the same person. Uh, <laughs> uh, Seven, seven planets, uh, complete with story hooks, uh, all ready to play, much like we do with Rocket Age. 
So pick up Catopia Prime as soon as it's available and watch us at uh, whynotgames.com or on our Facebook page, also Why Not Games, uh, for more information. Yes, Yay. do those things. <laughs> do those things. Buy one for yourself and two for your friends. Yes, and you know, just an extra one, just in case. Just an extra one. Yeah, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Gaming with Gage. If you have ideas for upcoming guests, want to chat with the cast, or a chance to play in some of our games, you can find our Discord link in the show notes. You can also find the show at facebook.com slash gamingwithgage, and on Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch at GamingWGage. Your support makes this show a reality week after week. One of the best ways to help out is to leave five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. 